0: Well, good morning again. It's good to see you. And thanks for joining us online as well. And uh, I want to read for you a passage of Scripture today. Today is Palm Sunday, Palm Sunday. And uh, the words will be on the screen. I'm not going to ask you to stand today, but uh, I am going to ask you to follow along. It is Luke chapter 19, starting in verse 28, going through verse 40. Luke chapter 19. And when he had said these things, he went on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. When he drew near to Bethpage and Bethany, at the mouth that is called Olivet, he sent two of his disciples, saying, Go into the village in front of you, where on entering you'll find a colt tied, on which no one has ever yet sat. Untie it and bring it here. If someone asks you, Why are you untying it? You shall say this, The Lord has need of it. So those who were sent away and found it just as he had told them and as they were untying the colt its owner said to them where are you untying the colt and they said the lord has need for it and they brought it to jesus and throwing their cloaks on the colt they set jesus on it and as he rode along they spread their cloaks on the road as he was drawing near already on the way down the mount of olives the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise god with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. He answered, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. Father, I thank you for your word today, and I pray, uh, as I prayed earlier, that we would be open to your spirit today, that uh, as we look at what it means to have new life in Jesus Christ, we realize, Father, the lengths and the depths that you went to to redeem us. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. So today is Palm Sunday, and again today we also have the privilege of participating as a number of people who are real-life church are baptized at the end of the message today. And at first glance, it would seem like Palm Sunday and baptism don't necessarily go hand in hand, but my prayer is in this brief message today and in what we're about to do, we're going to see that the thing that binds all of this together really really comes down to our willingness to embrace the grace of Jesus Christ in our lives. Now, the challenge with that is sometimes we like to define what that grace might look like instead of allowing Christ to define What true biblical grace looks like for us and really today also is a challenge for all of us whether you're being baptized today or not the challenge is for all of us to really allow God to prepare our hearts for what we're going to celebrate next Sunday next Sunday we celebrate a resurrection we we celebrate the fact that we have a savior who beat death that's pretty legit in my book So we have a Savior who beat death, but to really appreciate that and understand that, we need to allow God to maybe prepare our hearts a little bit so we're not celebrating next week in vain. So that said, Palm Sunday, this Sunday before Easter, is a little bit of a celebration of contrasts, okay? For instance, if you were going to announce you're coming into the world, if you're going to do all these amazing things and you're going to announce that you're a king Generally speaking, you're probably not going to do it riding on the back of a donkey, okay? So there's your first disconnect. Donkeys aren't typically thought of as exceptional. Donkeys eat large amounts of food. Donkeys also have figured out how not to work when it gets really, really hot out. In other words, I classify as a really good donkey. I like to eat, and I don't like to work when it's hot. The next one I don't qualify. Donkeys are also very small, okay? Donkeys are small, and uh, they're not majestic like a horse. Nobody goes to, like, donkey shows. People go to horse shows, right? So, so they're not majestic like a horse, and uh, awkwardly, they just kind of carry things and people around. And that seems like maybe that's, like, their best quality is that they can just awkwardly carry stuff. That's it. So what's really interesting about donkeys, though, is donkeys have a pretty decently documented lack of fear, so a donkey will often be easily led to places that will actually harm it. They don't avoid things. They, they actually walk towards things that would actually at some point hurt them, which then begins to make sense why Jesus Christ on that Palm Sunday rides into Jerusalem on a donkey. Because while we do celebrate Palm Sunday and we like to rejoice and we like to participate in the excitement, this is where the contrast of Palm Sunday comes in. You and I know what happens on Friday. So on Palm Sunday, there's all these people shouting cheers and glory and hosanna and amazing things. They're waving these palm branches. It's a very palm branch waving kind of a faith. But the problem is, is that same crowd will be the ones later in the week who are fickle and start yelling, crucify him, crucify him. And we have to ask the question, why is that? See, the problem with Luke chapter 19, what I just read for you, is actually Matthew chapter 27. Let me read these verses for you, 15 through 26. Now at the feast, the governor was accustomed to release for the crowd any one prisoner whom they wanted. They had then a notorious prisoner called Barabbas. So when they had gathered, Pilate said to them, Who do you want me to release to you, Barabbas? or Jesus, who is called Christ. For he knew that it was out of envy that they had delivered him up. Besides, while he was sitting on the judgment seat, his, his wife sent word to him, Listen, have nothing to do with that righteous man. I've suffered much because of him today in a dream. Now the chief priests and the elders had persuaded the crowd, again, that's an important word, they'd persuaded the crowd to ask for Barabbas and to destroy Jesus. The governor again said to them, Which of the two do you want me to release for you? And they said, Barabbas. Pilate said to them, Then what shall I do with Jesus, who's called the Christ? And they said, Let him be crucified. And he said, Why? What evil has he done? But they shouted all the more, Let him be crucified. So when Pilate saw that he was gaining nothing, but instead there was a riot that was starting, he took water, he washed his hands before the crowd, saying, I'm innocent. Of this man's blood, see to it yourselves. And all the people answered, his blood be on us then, and on our children's lives. Then he released for them Barabbas, and having scourged Jesus, delivered him to be crucified. That's literally less than one week after the parade. Billy Graham, and I'm sure most of us are familiar at least with his name, Uh, at one point was quoted, and I don't know if the quote is accurate or not, but I don't disagree 100% with what he's quoted as saying. But evidently he once said, the greatest mission field in the world today is the local church. Now there's a reason he said it, and and I kind of understand why he said what he said. The church, many churches in North America, are filled with people who know what to say, They know the language to use. They do the religious rituals. They know how to sing. Uh, They know what it looks like to participate. But at the end of the day, they're really just kind of in the crowd. They're in the crowd and have not left a Palm Sunday kind of a faith and instead turned and embraced a pick up your cross and follow me kind of Good Friday faith. And so people begin to remain in the crowd. Now, in a few moments... We're going to celebrate with those who have stepped out of the crowd and embraced this new life. And when I showed up here, I keep getting all this swag. People just keep giving me shirts, which I guess I'm okay with. Uh, but, uh, yeah, becoming new. Becoming new. That's what we're celebrating here in just a moment. But you have to ask the question, why would somebody then step out of the crowd? Why would they step out of the crowd from going through the motions to something more? And I think Palm Sunday really reveals that to us. In one moment, you've got a living king who's receiving praise, but in the next moment, you've got a beaten and disfigured Savior who's receiving shouts of death. Death. What changed? Can I make a guess? I think ultimately what happened was that crowd missed grace coming by them. They missed it. They did not embrace the true grace that Jesus was offering. And I wonder how many times sometimes that we define the kind of grace that we want to embrace. Uh, Jesus offers freedom from sin, uh, freedom from shame. He offers a new life. He offers forgiveness. Uh, He offers a sanctifying grace. But I wonder sometimes if the grace that we want to receive from Jesus is a little short-sighted. Maybe a little bit more temporary and circumstantial in nature. Uh, I think often we miss grace for the same reasons that we miss that the, the people on Palm Sunday missed the true grace of God, is because it's self-centered and not Jesus-centered. So on Palm Sunday, again, people praise Jesus for a couple of reasons. First of all, and, and here's the deal: <laughs> for that crowd that was following Jesus, there was a couple of guarantees. Uh, You were guaranteed a dinner and a show. I mean, that's just how it worked. In fact, the feeding of the 5,000 where Jesus multiplies the bread and the fishes, you got a dinner and a show in one. He fed you, and you got to witness a miracle. It's pretty awesome. So Jesus is going around; he's healing people, he's touching people's lives. Uh, I mean, people are just experiencing incredible things, and Jesus keeps producing food too. So everywhere that Jesus went, there was dinner and a show. It was it was pretty amazing. Uh, he healed all those people, but then they praised Jesus for a second reason too. They saw in Jesus somebody, somebody who was useful to their socio-political stature at the moment. Jesus, for them, was a political figure who was there to give them some freedom in the temporary, to deal with some temporary political issues that were going on in their lives. Not a whole lot's changed in 2,000 years, has it? Everybody claims Jesus when he gets them some votes. He became a political figure for them upon on the playing field of the world that could be moved around to whatever favor we needed in that moment. And when that happens, when God gives not the grace that we're looking for, but the grace that we need, it's kind of like opening a Christmas gift on Christmas morning that you just didn't expect and really didn't want. So when I was growing up, Christmas was like a surprise. If I, if I went to my parents and was like, here's my list, my parents would I'll show you what you can do with the list. Okay, that, that's how I grew up. So Christmas for me was always a surprise. You were grateful for whatever you got. When I married into Shelley's family, Shelley's family was like, you got to give us a list because we're not guessing and we're not going to waste our money on stuff that you're not going to use, which made total sense to me. So you have to start generating a list, which felt a little presumptuous, but they said, give me a list. So I gave them a list. That doesn't mean you're going to get everything, Right but it pretty much meant that anything you opened on Christmas morning, even if you had to go to the store with them and try it on and then take it back off and then they would take it and wrap it and you had to act surprised on on Christmas morning, okay? You knew that whatever you were open was something that you kind of were looking for. The problem with, with Christmas morning sometimes is though you're opening a gift and you're thinking, oh, this must be that thing. This must be that one thing, that thing that I was really looking forward to using or having or needing, and, and, and this is that thing, and then you open it up, and it's not even something that was on your list. I mean, it wasn't even on your, on your radar. It's just this thing, and it's not a horrible thing, but this isn't what I wanted. This is, this is not going to do for me what I was wanting to have something do for me. And So this is what they're experiencing in this moment with Jesus, Okay? By the time we get to Good Friday, he's not the gift they thought that they were opening up. He's completely different. He's what they need. What he's doing on Good Friday is what they need. But that's not the grace that they were looking for. That's not the gift that they thought that they were opening up. He looked weak. He was beaten. All these promises, these statements about the kingdom of God is here, And all of a sudden, you have this broken, bloodied, bruised, spit-on man in front of you who doesn't very much look like a king. And all of a sudden, the crowd changes. And that reveals, I think, another reason people do stay in the crowd and don't step out of the crowd and embrace the true grace of Jesus. It's because a lot of times, faith is circumstantially based. It's not relationally based. On Palm Sunday, shouting praises, man, waving those palm branches, all that kind of stuff. That was the thing to do. That was the crowd. How many of you have seen the movie Gladiator? There's a, there's a moment in the movie Gladiator where, you know, they're trying to figure out what do we need to do to kind of muster up uh, people in Rome to do what we want them to do. And one of the, the people in the council says to, I think the emperor, he says, the crowd is fickle. The crowd is fickle. So if you give the crowd what they want, then they'll just think that you're better than sliced bread, right? But the crowd is fickle. If you don't give them what they want, they'll turn on you instantly. If you watch the movie Gladiator, you see that kind of play out. But it's true. The crowd is fickle because the crowd bases their allegiance on circumstances, not relationships okay, days after Palm Sunday, shouting, crucify him, crucify him. That was the thing to do in that moment. So if the climate of our world this last year has taught me anything, what it's taught me is how willing so many of us are to crucify people we don't even know. Have you experienced that this last year? I mean, if you've not seen how easily we destroy other people with our words and our posts and our attitudes and everything, then I... Well, you're blind. I don't know. But I've seen that over and over and over again. It's really, really hard to crucify somebody. It's really, really hard to hang somebody out to dry that you love, that you have an intimate relationship with, that you have that connection with. These people did not have Jesus' heart. Their allegiance was bound to circumstantial Things They really didn't know Jesus. The grace that Jesus brought with him was a grace of a relationship with God, the God of creation. They just wanted some cheap grace to get them through some earthly circumstances, get their worship on, do do whatever they're going to do, recharge, whatever it is. But you cannot build relationship on cheap grace. You just can't do it. Relational grace, the kind of grace that Jesus Christ brings is not cheap. It cost something, didn't it? It cost his life. See, real grace is sacrificial. Real grace costs something. In fact, it's giving, and it's risky. Real relational grace is risky. It's risky because you can give it without any guarantee that it's going to be reciprocated, that the love that you give out may not be returned. It may not even be received. That's why it's so risky. And before we move into a time of celebrating those who accepted embracing the grace of Christ, stepping out of the crowd with a faith that's beyond circumstances, beyond self-focus, we've got to ask ourselves a question, where are you today? Where are you at today and what kind of response would you have when presented with the opportunity to truly embrace the grace that Jesus offers. Can I share with you, I, you and I are not alone in having to answer that question. Um, we're, we're just not. Um, we're not the first people to struggle with the challenge of stepping out of the crowd. To me, a great source of hope uh, for myself comes when I think of those first disciples of Jesus. Um, Unfortunately, the the lives of the women who were disciples are not as well documented as the guys. But I I look at these people's stories and the transformation that these people experienced when they moved from being in the crowd to stepping out of the crowd and surrendering everything that they were to Jesus Christ, what God did with them. I mean, you have people like Peter, those first 12 disciples. Peter Peter is a fullback. (laughs) If you're familiar with football at all, Peter is a fullback to a T. Most NFL teams don't use fullbacks anymore, but those that do, a fullback's job is one thing. You give them the ball, they put their head down and they run. That's it. You don't have to get like creative. You just charge ahead. That is Peter to a T. Peter's open mouth insert foot every single day. Okay, that is Peter. He's a total blue collar fisherman, and Jesus calls him and says, follow me. Peter denied knowing Jesus at this crucial moment on Good Friday. I mean, Peter is, he's about as flaky as a guy can get. After the resurrection, after the resurrection, Jesus approaches him with relational grace and says, go feed my sheep. Do you love me? You know I love you, Lord. Okay, here we go. And Peter he can't shut up about Jesus. In fact, the only way to shut him up was to hang him upside down and crucify him upside down. Because he would not stop being just a machine for Jesus. This incredible thing. These other guys, you've got Andrew. Andrew was a Jesus denier. But once he truly embraced the grace of that Jesus offered. He forged new territory for the kingdom in a, in a place called the land of the man-eaters. The former Soviet Union uh, in, in modern-day Turkey, that, that particular area, he spread the gospel there, and he also suffered the fate of crucifixion for Jesus. You got James, the son of Zebedee. He's the judgmental one. Okay, James is a little bit judgmental. He struggled, really, to give grace to other people because, honestly, he struggled to receive grace for himself. Yet, after the resurrection, after he stepped out of the crowd and truly embraced the grace that Jesus had for him, King Herod had him killed and because he just became such a huge influence and a threat because of Jesus. Then there was John. That's the disciple that Jesus loved. We've been doing most of our series that we've been in out of the gospel of John. That's the, that's the disciple that Jesus loved. But a lot of people don't know John had a really, really bad temper. Really, really bad temper. He thought pretty highly of himself. He struggled for forgiveness. He wanted attention. But after embracing, again, the full, the full grace that Jesus was offering him, he was such a threat to the system of the world of the day and such a vocal, vocal advocate for the gospel of Jesus Christ, they had to send him off to an island by himself just so people wouldn't hear him anymore. That's what happened. Then you got Philip. I love Philip. Philip was known for bringing other people to Jesus. That's what he did. He became a deserter during the crucifixion. After the crucifixion, after receiving the full grace that Jesus would offer, Africa. He takes the gospel to Africa, which is amazing. He converts the wife of a Roman Proconsul. And in return, Rome takes his life. They torture and kill him for following Jesus. Nathaniel, also known as Bartholomew, he's notorious for saying when somebody said, Hey, you gotta check the Jesus guy out, he's and he's from Nazareth, he's the guy that's famous for saying, Seriously? I mean, nothing good comes from Nazareth. That's him. After this grace, he took the Gospel of Matthew to India. India. Speaking of Matthew, before the gospel, before receiving this full grace that God was offering him through Jesus Christ, who was a total sellout to the Jewish people. He sold them for profit. He was a tax collector and he gave his allegiance to Rome and sold his own people out. After the resurrection and Jesus' invitation, he took the gospel to Africa, he went to Persia, and he was martyred for Jesus while he was on another mission trip. Uh, meeting the same end as Thomas. He's the doubter. His doubts overtook him during the crucifixion, even afterwards. But once, once he received the source of grace that he needed, he went to India as well. He was murdered by four soldiers for his faith. James the Lesser. He's not as well known, but he became a missionary to Syria. He was stoning clubbed to death because of his faith in Jesus. He has Simon the Zealot, He's a fair-weather follower of Jesus during the crucifixion and and all that stuff. But afterwards, after receiving this full grace that Jesus offered, he he took the gospel to to Egypt, all the way to Egypt. Then you've got Jude. He's missing at the crucifixion. After stepping out from the crowd, he preached in Judea, Samaria, Syria, Mesopotamia, Libya, Persia. These people were incredible, absolutely incredible, after they'd stepped out of the crowd. There's one more disciple, though. It was Judas. He was actually the most qualified out of all of them. Uh, He had the best education. He was the most gifted. And I think, honestly, that's a really good reminder of what it looks like to desire cheap grace that does not get past a Palm Sunday allegiance to Jesus. It's more than just a parade When you step out of the crowd, you're embracing a cross. And Jesus said, die daily to yourself. Pick up a cross and follow me. It's about laying down the palms and picking up a cross. That's what it looks like to step out of the crowd. I share all this because to me, those men are us. That's us. That is us. Before and after stepping out of the crowd, again, on Friday night, we're going to gather, and again, we're going to walk through those final hours of Jesus' life, but today, we have this incredible, blessed opportunity to participate in this sacrament of baptism together. We're going to celebrate with those who have made a public profession, and they're declaring that they've been made new through the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, And so at this time, I'm going to ask you to watch this video as we prepare for baptism. Today, I tell my friends, my family, the world, that the old Adam, the old Jimmy, the old Crystal is dead. I have been buried with Christ. My sin is gone. Nailed to the cross. And paid for. By the blood of my Savior. Of my Jesus. Today I declare that by God's relentless. Unfailing grace. I am forgiven. I am free. I am me. All right.